It's the 3rd of December in the year of our salvation, 2009, and you're back with Father John Zulsdorf in another podcast. We welcome as our guest today, St. Francis Xavier, the great Jesuit missionary who died in 1552. We'll hear today from a letter he wrote back to his friend and superior and mentor and fellow Basque, St. Ignatius Loyola, who was in Rome. We'll also hear another installment of the wonderful stories by Giovanni Guareschi about Don Camillo. I have a little something for you from the Office of Readings for today, the 3rd of December, which is the Feast of St. Francis Xavier, the great Jesuit missionary. It's also important for our observance of the year for priests, because what I am going to read says also something about the importance of priests for your ability to practice your faith. Now, St. Francis Xavier was one of the seven original Jesuits, and he went on missions to mainly Portuguese-speaking Asia and was very influential in the spread of Christianity in India. He was a tireless worker and missionary, dedicating himself to learn many different languages for the sake of being able to spread the faith. Now, centuries later, in the 20th century, Pope Pius XI would declare St. Francis Xavier as the patron saint of Catholic missions, saying that he opened up new ways of access to the immense continent of Asia. Now, in what follows, which is a letter written by St. Francis back to his old friend and mentor and superior and fellow Basque, St. Ignatius Loyola, founder of the Jesuits. Uh, as you listen to this, you will hear a reference to uh, Paris, for example. That is where St. Ignatius and St. Francis met when they were students. And when he speaks about the Portuguese, 
uh, keep in mind that the king of Portugal had sent many Jesuit missionaries out to the Portuguese East Indies, such as Goa. And that is actually where St. Francis Xavier's body is buried now, in Portuguese Goa. Uh, Francis dedicated himself to explaining and teaching the faith to just about anyone who would listen to him, as you will hear in this letter, especially to children. But he, uh, he, talked to just about, he talked to everyone at every level of society, even kings listened to him. Uh, though he wasn't able ever to get an audience with the emperor of Japan, which is too bad, that was, would have been pretty interesting. But uh, he, uh, he spent a lot of his time among the lower classes. He spent a lot of time in very dangerous places, uh, you think about going to Japan in those days. It was very dangerous for Westerners there, especially for missionaries. This was the time of the, the Tokugawa shogunate. It, was, it could be a, a single misstep could be quite deadly in Japan. And he had some limited successes there, but he was hindered especially by the language. If I remember correctly, he made great use of artwork, uh, just as uh, later on, Another Jesuit missionary in China, Matteo Ricci, would do to use artwork to bridge that gap of language. And uh, as St. Francis was on his way to China when he took fever and died, uh, so as I mentioned, his body is in Goa, but his arm, the arm with which he baptized uh, so many thousands of people, was sent back to Rome. And today when you go there, you can go and see that arm and venerate this great and inspiring relic in the church of the Jesuits called the Jesu in the heart of Rome. So let's hear now a very brief excerpt taken from today's Office of Readings on this 3rd of December, Feast of St. Francis Xavier. The saint is writing a letter back to St. Ignatius Loyola. A letter from St. Francis Xavier to St. Ignatius. We have visited the villages of the new converts who accepted the Christian religion a few years ago. No Portuguese live here. The country is so utterly barren and poor. The native Christians have no priests. They know only that they are Christians. There is nobody to say Mass for them. Nobody to teach them the Creed, the Our Father, the Hail Mary, and the commandments of God's law. I have not stopped since the day I arrived. I conscientiously made the rounds of the villages. I bathed in the sacred waters all the children who had not yet been baptized. This means that I have purified a very large number of children so young that, as the saying goes, they could not tell their right hand from their left. 
The older children would not let me say my office or eat or sleep until I had taught them one prayer or another. Then I began to understand the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. I could not refuse so devout a request without failing in devotion myself. I taught them first the confession of faith in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, then the Apostles' Creed, the Our Father, and Hail Mary. I noticed among them persons of great intelligence. If only someone could educate them in the Christian way of life, I have no doubt that they would make excellent Christians. Many, many people hereabouts are not becoming Christians for one reason only. There is nobody to make them Christians. Again and again I have thought of going round the universities of Europe, especially Paris and everywhere, crying out like a madman, riveting the attention of those with more learning than charity. What a tragedy how many souls are being shut out of heaven and falling into hell thanks to you. I wish they would work as hard at this as they do at their books, and so settle their account with God for their learning and the talents entrusted to them. This thought would certainly stir most of them to meditate on spiritual realities, to listen actively to what God is saying to them. They would forget their own desires, their human affairs, and give themselves over entirely to God's will and His choice. They would cry out with all their heart, Lord, I am here. What do you want me to do? Send me anywhere you like, even to India. That was St. Francis Xavier writing to St. Ignatius Loyola from the missions in Asia back in the 16th century. You might consider what it meant to go in the 16th century to Asia, to the East Indies, to Japan. Uh, the journey itself by sea would have taken months and it was often, the journey itself, often fatal. And then there, when they got there, there were the clash of, uh, clashes of cultures between the East and West or getting caught up in local difficulties. And that was often deadly. And then, if that wasn't enough, there was the distance, the isolation, knowing that you were so far and away from home and uh, everyone that you know and that you may never return. Uh, you needed a powerful motivation to go out and do such a thing, to go all the way to those places to spread the gospel. Now, a while ago, before I uh, gave you the reading, I mentioned that Pius XI had said that St. Francis Xavier had opened up new pathways to the immense continent of Asia, and I was reminded as I read that of how Pope Benedict very recently uh, in a speech about social communications spoke about the need of the church to deal with the new reality of what he called a digital continent, that we knew, need a new diaconate on a digital continent. I think he's developing the image of the public square, but in a new tone, a new tenor. 
And I've written about this on the blog a few times, this digital continent and what we need to be doing as a church. Well, surely there's a parallel for us with what we heard uh, St. Francis writing about and what Pius XI said about him, about opening up this new pathway to Asia. Well, I think we need missionaries who are working also to open up these new pathways to a new immense continent, a digital continent. Uh, People like Francis Xavier, uh, describing the situation in India, was talking about Christians who are out there, they were baptized, they sort of know they're Christians, but they don't have the support that they need, and they're hungry to learn, and they, they want to know about their faith, they're eager. And I think there are very many people like them today. There are people out there in parishes, places where their faith has not been nourished for a very long time, if ever. And think also of those people who have fallen away from the church, or people who, through no fault of their own, were baptized but were never taught. They might have some kind of vague notion that they are somehow Catholic in a like a family heritage sense or a cultural Catholic sense, but they really don't know anything of their, their Catholic faith, and how can they be expected to live it if they don't know it? So, inspired by the example of St. Francis Xavier, we must also use these new tools of communication to reach out onto this immense digital continent that's out there, especially inspired by men like St. Francis Xavier, the great priest and missionary. Let's do what we can to use well these tools to help people come to a better knowledge of their faith or a new knowledge which could open up for them a path to salvation. And now we turn our attention to another installment in the stories from The Little World of Don Camillo by Giovanni Guareschi. These are wonderful little stories about a town in northern Italy near the Po River in a time after World War II when there was a titanic struggle going on between political communists and the Christian Democrats who were backed by the church. Now the main characters uh, in these stories are, of course, the parish priest Don Camillo Tarocci, who was a a huge man, a very large and powerful man. And then, of course, his nemesis, the communist mayor, who was nicknamed Beppone, which is kind of like saying Big Joe. Another one of the important characters in these stories is the large crucifix in the parish church, with whom Don Camillo uh, converses on a regular basis. These stories blend a brilliant insight into the human condition with a solid understanding of an applied Catholic faith. So let's hear now a story from Giovanni Guareschi's The Little World of Don Camillo. This is the first in a series of books about the famous fictional priest. And today we will hear Nocturne with Bells. Nocturne with Bells For some time Don Camilo had felt that he was being watched. 
on turning round. Suddenly, when he was walking along the street or in the fields, he saw no one, but was convinced that if he had looked behind a hedge or in the bushes, he would have found a pair of eyes and everything that goes with them. When he left the rectory on a couple of evenings, he not only heard a sound from behind the door, but he caught a glimpse of a shadow. Never mind, Christ advised him. Eyes never did anyone any harm. But it would be nice to know whether those two eyes are going about alone or accompanied by a third, for instance, one of nine caliber, sighed Don Camilo. That is a detail not without its own importance. Nothing can defeat a good conscience, Don Camilo. I know, Lord, sighed Don Camilo once more, but the trouble is that people don't usually fire at a conscience, but between the shoulders. However, Don Camilo did nothing about the matter, and a little time elapsed, and then late one evening, when he was sitting alone in the rectory reading, he felt the eyes upon him. There were three of them, and raising his head slowly, he saw, first of all, the black eye of a revolver, and then those of Biondo. "'Do I lift my hands?' inquired Don Camilo quietly. "'I don't want to do you any harm,' replied Biondo, thrusting the revolver into his jacket-pocket. "'I was just afraid you might be scared when I came in unexpectedly and might start shouting.' "'I see,' replied Don Camilo. "'And did it never strike you that, by simply knocking at the door, you could have avoided all this trouble?' Biondo didn't reply.' He went and leaned over the window-sill. Then he turned round suddenly and sat down beside Don Camilo's little table. His hair was ruffled, his eyes deeply circled, and his forehead was damp with sweat. "'Don Camilo,' he muttered from behind clenched teeth, "'that fellow at the house near the dike. It was me that did him in.' Don Camilo lighted a cigar. The house near the dike, he said quietly. Well, that's an old story. It was a political affair and came within the terms of the amnesty. What are you worrying about? You're all right under the law. Biondo shrugged his shoulders. To hell with the amnesty, he said furiously. Every night when I put out my light, I can feel him near my bed and I can't understand what it means. Don Camilo puffed a cloud of blue smoke into the air. Nothing at all, Biondo, he replied with a smile. Listen, go to sleep with the light on. Biondo sprang to his feet. You can jeer at that fool Pepone, he shouted, but you can't do it at me. Don Camilo shook his head. First, Pepone is not a fool, and second, where you are concerned, there is nothing that I can do for you. "'If I must buy candles or make an offering to the church, I'll pay,' shouted Biondo. "'But you've got to absolve me, and in any case, I'm all right legally.' "'I agree, my son,' said Don Camilo mildly. "'But the trouble is that no one has ever yet made an amnesty for consciences.' Therefore, so far as we are concerned, we muddle along in the same old way, and in order to obtain absolution, it is necessary to be penitent, and then to act in a manner that is deserving of forgiveness. 
It's a long, drawn-out affair, Biondo sneered, penitent. I'm only sorry I didn't bag the lot. That is a province in which I am completely incompetent. On the other hand, if your conscience tells you that you acted rightly, then you should be content, said Don Camillo, opening a book and laying it in front of Biondo. Look, we have very clear commandments that do not exclude politics. Fifth, thou shalt not kill. Seventh, thou shalt not steal. What has that got to do with it? asked Biondo in a mystified voice. Nothing, Don Camillo reassured him. But I had an idea that you told me that you had killed him under the cloak of politics in order to steal his money. I never said so, shouted Biondo, pulling out his pistol and pushing it into Don Camillo's face. I never said so, but it's true. And if it's true, and you dare to tell a living soul, I'll blow you to bits. We don't tell such things even to the Eternal Father, Don Camillo reassured him, and in any case, he knows them better than we do. Biondo appeared to quiet down. He opened his hand and looked at his weapon. Now look at that, he exclaimed, laughing. I hadn't even noticed that the safety catch was on. He raised the catch with a careful finger. Don Camillo, said Biondo in a strange voice, I am sick of seeing that fellow standing near my bed. There are only two ways out. Either you absolve me, or I shoot you. The pistol shook slightly in his hand, and Don Camillo turned rather pale and looked him straight in the eyes. Lord, said Don Camillo mentally, this is a mad dog and he will fire. An absolution given in such conditions is valueless. What do I do? If you're scared, give him absolution, replied the voice of Christ. Don Camillo folded his arms on his breast. No, Biondo, said Don Camillo. Biondo set his teeth. Don Camillo, give me absolution or I fire. No. Biondo pulled the trigger, and the trigger moved, but there was no explosion. Then Don Camillo fired, and this time there was no misfiring, because Don Camillo's blows always hit the mark. Then he tore up the steps of the tower and rang the bells for twenty minutes, and all the countryside declared that Don Camillo had gone mad, with the exception of Christ above the altar who shook his head, smiling, and Biondo, who, tearing across the fields like a lunatic, had reached the bank of the river and was about to throw himself into its dark waters. Then he heard the bells. Biondo turned back, because he had heard a voice that he had never known. And that was the real miracle, because a pistol that misfires is an accident. But a priest who begins to ring joy bells at eleven o'clock at night is quite another matter.
with that, I'm going to wrap up this short podcast. I hope you come and join us at the blog, wdtprs.com. That's Whiskey Delta Tango, paparomeosierra.com. What does the prayer really say? And if that's too hard to remember and to tell your friends, you can always Google Father Z or look up fatherzonline.com. Spell it out, that's F-A-T-H-E-R-Z online.com. We've got some very good discussions going on over there. The very smart people, usually engaged in uh, some uh, informative and charitable conversations. Uh, join in. And if you would be so kind, and if these podcasts help you a little bit, please use the donation button. I always like seeing a little donation coming in. They're very, very helpful, uh, both materially and also uh, they boost my spirits. And uh, if you would be so kind, I hope you will pray for me as I pray for you.